Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new episode of Inside China Tech. This week we are going to talk about the e-commerce industry in China. And with me today I have Ker Jung from Azoya Group. So Azoya Group does cross-border e-commerce operations for international brands in China. Hey Ker, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for coming in to talk to us from Shenzhen. So Ker is usually based in Shenzhen. He sees a lot of you know, he talks to a lot of brands who are trying to get into China. He looks at a lot of these e-commerce trends. So we should be able to have a really interesting and insightful conversation today. How have you seen the Chinese e-commerce landscape sort of evolve over the last 20 years? It's changed a lot. You can probably divide it into three different phases. I think the first phase, early 2000s to 2009, 2010, um, you have Taobao and Marketplace model, where it's mostly uh, just a platform that aggregates third-party sellers. Uh, in the beginning, it's mostly apparel, but then they've kind of spread to different categories. And then over time, um, you see the rise of Tmall and JD. So they're different because they sell branded quality products from you know Fortune 500 companies like Procter & Gamble and other FMCG brands and Uniqlo and whatnot. Um, so I guess it's more premium, higher quality products. And then they also have kind of branched into retailing. So instead of just being a platform, they will buy and sell inventory themselves. Um, so it kind of improves the customer experience because the logistics is faster Um yeah, and then I think now we're kind of in a third phase, a little bit more difficult phase um, because internet user growth is kind of slowing down. Um, there are a lot of players in the market, a lot of brands on Tmall and JD, um, and it's becoming more and more difficult to acquire users. So user acquisition costs are becoming, they're just, they're just a lot higher than they used to be. Yeah, so I mean, brands and retailers, they have to do a lot more to grab um, users' attention. So, you know, according to the trends that you've just mentioned, it really seems that the trends have evolved as China's consumers have become more affluent because obviously when Mm -hmm. they first started out with e-commerce, that was maybe still fairly low value sort of products. What you said with Tmall Global and JD.com, you know, when they're selling more branded goods, that's also as like Chinese consumers become more aware of like imported brands. They look for quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so um, just as we're talking about Tmall and Taobao here, I also want to just put out a disclaimer that Tmall and Taobao are Alibaba platforms and the South China Morning Post is owned by Alibaba. So, you know, I mean, obviously, that's it's interesting how the Chinese e-commerce landscape has evolved. But what are some of the more interesting trends in e-commerce that you see today? 
Yeah, there are a few. Uh, so I, like I mentioned, brands and retailers, they have to do a lot more to, I guess, grab the attention of, of users. Um, so I think one thing that's kind of stuck out in China is KOL marketing. And I mean, KOLs are basically influencers. They just call KOLs in China because it means key opinion leaders. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, people look to these KOLs for advice on what to buy. Um, and it kind of personalizes brands and products because uh, when people, they look for recommendations on what to buy, they look to their friends and family, but then, um, you know, they don't know where to go. And so, you know, they look to these KOLs that kind of just sprouted up. Yeah, so we actually ran a story recently about um, how big this key opinion leader sort of market is. And it's really huge, right? Like these people are paid lots and lots of money to basically promote Goods. So one of the most famous KOLs is Becky Lee. So we, the other day when we ran the story, so that story is by our China tech reporter in Beijing, Ying Zhiyang. Uh, basically, she said that Becky Lee, in seven minutes, she sold one million yuan worth of products. And in one day, all of the clothing products were sold out. So I think it really shows like the power mm. that these KOLs sort of hold over like their followers in terms of influencing like taste and style and encouraging them. And it's also sort of an aspirational thing, right? Like lots of times these viewers sort of see KOLs as somebody that they aspire to become. Yeah, I would say, uh, well, a lot of KOLs, they started out as students studying abroad. And then because they're already overseas, they kind of know the fashion trends so they can write about them. And then because they're abroad, they have this kind of elevated I don't know, status of society. And access to yeah, like yeah, the yeah. imported brands. And this is just like, look, this new brand that I found, whatever, makeup yeah, or whatever. They're seen as glamorous and whatnot. And um, if you're a young female in your early 20s, then um, I guess you would look to these people for advice on what to buy or what to wear. So KOL marketing is like a very common sort of tactic that e-commerce brands are using basically to uh, reach out to consumers. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, I guess it's a mix of branding and driving sales or tra driving traffic. Um, usually KOLs, they operate on a CPM basis or cost per 1,000 impressions where um, you pay them a fixed amount for how many views they get per post. Um, and some of them, they operate on a sales commission too, but I would say most of them are on a CPM basis. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in China, there's a lack of um, CPC ads like Facebook ads where, you know, there's a lot of... Um, I guess, clear short-term ROI on clicks and like how much it takes to, to gather those clicks. But in China, the equivalent is WeChat. And WeChat is different from Facebook because WeChat, they don't actually... Uh, well, on Facebook, if you're a new user and you sign up, you gather their information, like what interests they are, like what groups are they in, uh, where they went to school. They have a lot of info on these users and they use these this, this data to kind of deliver targeted ad solutions. But WeChat doesn't do that because Chinese people are more private. They don't want to give information like this up. Um, and it's just a little bit different. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, are we sure that Chinese people are more private? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, WeChat is different because it's, it's, a, it's a private user network. So you can't see users or content of people you're not connected to or following. But on Facebook, you can. Um, so if you see some random person comment on your best friend's Facebook account, you can see what he's, he's writing. But in WeChat, you can't. So on WeChat, it's a lot more difficult for a brand or any kind of business to go viral 
because um, you can only go through your direct circle of friends or family. Yeah. So it's not as open sort of as a Facebook. And right. so as, as such, it's much harder to target these users yeah. uh, in terms of ads. Yeah. And also WeChat doesn't even do that in many ads at this point of time. They do. I think it's limited to like two a day. Um, and it's usually just very, very little by like, yeah. I mean, if we look at how many ads we're getting from Facebook, like just on a daily basis, the number of sponsored like yeah. posts that Well, Facebook's up. not doing that well these days, so. Yeah, but you um, know, I mean, just in comparison, it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, historically, I think Tencent, they've made money off of, um, I guess, in-app purchases from, from games and stuff. So there's been less of a need to monetize we chat through ads um, and it's just different in an emerging market than it is in a developed market like the US. Cool. Yeah. So what, apart from KOL, what are some of the uh, other trends? Yeah. I mean, the biggest trend, um, one of the biggest trends right now is group buying. Um, so it's basically very similar to Groupon. So if you invite a friend to buy or buy an item uh, together, and you'll both get a discount on the item. Yeah, we say, we say group buying is very similar to Groupon, but actually I think there is a little bit of a difference in the sense that, you know, with Groupon sites, it would be like people would go onto like Groupon.com or whatever, and then they would look at like a deal. You need like a certain number of people. Like it could be anybody, like as long as enough people sort of get on and to And there's a, a timer. Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of get that. But I think with um, group buying, which I think Pinduoduo pioneered, so that was much more social in a sense that if I'm interested in buying like, say, I don't know, like a shoe rack that for 30 yuan or whatever, I could like send it to you, Kerr, on WeChat. Yeah. And if you buy it too, then maybe we both get like a discount of like 5 yuan. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like that's quite interesting because of that social aspect. Well, it's all about WeChat, right? So if you do it through WeChat, then... It's just a lot more easier to share. I mean, the mini program of Pindodo, it shows up as a picture in your chat window. Um, yeah, and this is, it's similar in that it also has like a countdown timer, like this sale only lasts for 12 hours or 24 hours and whatnot. But I think that social aspect is quite interesting because, um, you know, like people tend to trust like their own friends or like relatives who recommend them. And I guess maybe it even is a little bit like peer pressure, or like social pressure. If like your friend is like, hey, like, can you buy this thing together with me? And it's like only 20 yuan. Like people might be like, hey, you know, 20 yuan is whatever's. And like, so spend that kind of money. But I think basically that's how Pindodo, because Pindodo, when they first started, they spent very little on marketing. Like they didn't really do that. A lot of it was word of mouth. And since Pindodo really became like within three years, I think they, they went from like, being a really small company to number three in China. Yeah, like 300 million registered users. Or now it's 418.5. Okay. It's okay, like wow. some crazy number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like their newest number that they right, just right. said. Like, Yeah, but for Pinduoduo, I think after they pioneered this model, a lot of other companies basically followed it. Yeah, all the platforms have group buying um, promotions now. But I think Pinduoduo is different because they targeted a different user segment in lower tier cities. Um, these people have smartphones with less memory, and so um, they're probably not liable to to download so many apps per per brand or whatnot. Yeah, and I think after Pinduoduo pioneered that model, a lot of the other e-commerce companies have basically followed suit. Yeah, I mean, they all have it. I think JD.com, they have like six different mini programs, but one specifically dedicated to group buying. Um, Kala, which is a popular cross-border e-commerce platform, they do it too. 
um, yeah, and all these other platforms, they, they're trying it out. Yeah, as to how effective it is, I don't know. Yeah, but like for these, um, these sort of group buying sort of applications, like a, a lot of times it appeals to like lower tier cities, like people, like buyers in lower tier cities, right? Yeah, I mean, they're more price sensitive. Um, they're more likely to, I guess, listen to closer friends and family because the, the circles are smaller in these places. Yeah. yeah, and it's like cheap. Like if you were able to get something for like 10 yuan, it's like kind of like, it's almost like a gaming like is it like a gamified sort of shopping experience because it's like you speak you send it to friends and your friends buy it you get a discount and you know you discover sort of new things on the app and it's cheap and it's like a really cheap form of entertainment that also allows you to shop so i think that's that's also yeah there there are like wechat groups people form wechat groups solely dedicated to sharing these kinds of group buying promotions yeah, like trying to get more people to yeah, like buy yeah, with yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. To do anything to game the system or whatever. Yeah, like when I was covering Pinduoduo, when I was trying to write stories about like these sort of group buying, or I think Pinduoduo calls it team buying, but you know, it's the same. Um, like this, this, this concept, I was trying to find users and, you know, maybe because a lot of my social circle, like I studied in Beijing and, you know, I was asking friends in Beijing, like, hey, do you know anybody who uses Pinduoduo? That was really difficult because I think Pinduoduo's, you know, sort of target group market most of their users come from lower tier cities so in beijing and like in shenzhen like i couldn't find anybody who had any experience with pinduoduo but oftentimes it would be like their parents mm. who were like who are like super into it because uh, i don't know like i guess like parents always like a good deal i guess <laughs> yeah i mean it's older generation right they grew up in different times um i use it too but it's for stuff you're the first person I know in a first year city who uses Pinduoduo. Yeah. Like, and is young. <laughs> I'll use it for like scissors. Um, yeah, I don't know. I Yeah, just stuff that I need, but it's not, I'm not going to like pay a premium for, for it. Yeah, but what's yeah. the quality like? Because when Pinduoduo listed on NASDAQ like last July, there was a lot of like negative press about them, about, you know, like their products were cheap and it's like not of good quality. So what has your experience been? I bought a carpet. I think it was, I don't know, like 100 RMB or something. But it was, it was very, very thin. You can feel the fabric was kind of cheap material. Um, you can see the bottom kind of wearing out. Um, you, can, you can tell. But for other things, I guess it's kind of hit or miss. You just got to try it. Yeah. But I, I mean, that's, that's, why the, that's why they have like a review system, right? That's why all e-commerce platforms have a review system to kind of vet these things out over time. Yeah, and I think most, most of the time people don't go to these platforms to buy like hugely expensive things anyway and it was like 10 yuan right Maybe people don't right, you know, right they don't care right, so much right. yeah so you know another thing that's really coming up um that a lot of people have been putting into focus lately is cross-border e-commerce which you would be very familiar with so you know like for cross-border e-commerce um you know tmall um has in recent years been putting a lot of emphasis on like imported goods and during double 11 like the shopping festivals they also sort of have promotions on that and they even have like a list of rankings of like what is the most sold sort of imported brands mm. in categories of items and like even with NetEase we see that they're doing Kala like you mentioned earlier where is really just targeting Chinese consumers who are interested in buying foreign brands so why do you think cross-border e-commerce have become so hot you know over the last couple of years? Um, so in China, there's certain products that just can't be found in China, uh, for a variety of different reasons. Um, one example is cosmetics. So 
in China, if you want to import cosmetics, you have to do animal testing on them. And a lot of foreign brands are cruelty-free brands, so they refuse to do animal testing, and therefore they cannot sell in China. Um, and so, you know, you can't find cosmetics in China. Um, for things like health supplements, there's been a lot of issues with fake products, fake pills. Um, for luxury items, the taxes are just too high. That's why you buy a handbag from Paris, but you won't buy it in a store in Beijing or whatever. Um, so in the beginning, people would buy either overseas or they buy through Daigo, which are gray market sellers that will smuggle in these products and then sell them at a markup. Um, but in recent years, um, cross-border e-commerce has kind of evolved as kind of, um, I guess, an upgrade of, of Daigo, where retailers and brands overseas will sell directly to consumers by shipping from overseas warehouses to the Chinese consumer. And it's a separate trade channel that's different from general trade. So they're susceptible to different rules and regulations, different taxes. Um, and basically, I think recently, the Chinese government um, wants to crack down on Daigo and then promote cross-border e-commerce because they're buying directly from brands and retailers. Yeah. Yeah. So like when we talk about Daigo, that's a very... I think Daigo has become essentially like a billion-dollar industry because of the sheer amount of demand for imported products mm -hmm. uh, from Chinese consumers. So, you know, like one really common thing that we see on social media or if you fly into Incheon Airport in South Korea is that you see all of these people, all these Daigo, basically buying like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of cosmetics or products at, yeah. at the duty-free stores. And then they yeah. would just unpack it like like just by the corridor and like stuff it in their luggage and then like fly. Like I think some of them don't even like leave the airport. Like they just fly in, they buy oh, everything right. and then they pack and then like they're done and then they take the next flight out. Like they don't even leave the airport. That's pretty funny. Yeah, because like it's been so lucrative, right? Like Taigos, I think they make something like six, like the hardworking ones can make like 60 or 70K UN a month, like yeah. just sort of reselling yeah. Yeah, like yeah, products yeah, yeah. to people. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've talked about like, we, we talked about how they're cracking down. Basically, I think China implemented like a new e-commerce law. Yeah. So, I mean, the e-commerce law, um, it was passed last October and it came into effect in January of this year. Basically, I mean, there's a lot of different rules and regulations, but I think what's kind of um, made the most noise in the press is that it's cracked down on third-party sellers on WeChat and Taobao. Um, and a lot of these sellers are Daigo selling smuggled items uh, on these platforms. And I think in the past, um, you know, there's, there's millions of these sellers, so it's hard for a platform like Taobao and WeChat to kind of go and inspect, you know, are these people selling all authentic goods or are they fake? Because um, then you it'd be hard to kind of vet all of them, even if you have, like, amazing technology, right? Um, but I think this new law kind of puts more uh, of the burden on these platforms that basically they say that you have to go and like check these people or else, you know, you'll get fined or, yeah. So they're jointly liable basically together with these sellers in the sense that I think now, even if you're a third-party seller, even, even if you're Daigo selling, I don't know, like foreign cosmetics, like you technically by law, have to register your business right. and also like pay taxes on it. And if you don't, and for example, WeChat doesn't check you, like if you get found out, then both the seller and the platform is liable. Yeah, yeah. Because the government also doesn't have the manpower to check all these people too, right? So it's easier to work with the platform to do it. Uh, but yeah, basically before they used to sell under their personal 
selling accounts, either on WeChat or Taobao. But now you have to register as a business. You have to file tax returns every year. Um, and, you know, that that costs money, right? So I think some Daigo who are operating on low margins will probably be driven out of the market. Um, yeah. Or they'll just turn into pure marketing kind of KOLs where they um, just market the goods, but they don't buy and sell the products themselves. They'll yeah. just market on behalf of other organizations. Yeah, it's really shown how the Chinese government, you know, now that they're trying to push for cross-border e-commerce and like offering incentives to make that easier for businesses to do, that they're really trying to drive out like goals because basically they don't make any money off goals. Like if you do it, yeah, they, they can't be taxed. You, yeah, exactly, yeah. and so they don't make any revenue out of that. Right, right. Yeah, so I think a lot of goals are, you know, if you look in the media, a lot of them are afraid of they've cut back on that because they really, really don't want to get caught. It's like the fines are, I think, pretty expensive. Yeah, so basically a lot of them have cut back, like a lot of them are not doing it anymore because the fines are pretty substantial, you know, both for the sellers. Like yeah. the platforms are fine much more, but right, sellers right. for themselves, like like you don't want to get fined, you know, thousands and thousands of yuan basically. So what are some of the platforms that are doing cross-border e-commerce? Because, you know, we talked about Tmall Global, we talked about NetEase, but recently even Pinduoduo is going into cross-border, right? Yeah, so the rank is basically Tmall and Kala, the top two. And then JD is... Uh, kind of distant third and then there's Xiaohongshu, Amazon does some too um, and then there's a lot of other like niche platforms that are only sell say like mom and baby products or milk powder um, but yeah I mean Pinduoduo is the newest um, entrant to the kind of cross-border e-commerce arena um, so they announced that they were launching um, a business focused on cross-border e-commerce and they were recruiting merchants so that's also interesting because, like, do you think that's a sign that Pinodo is basically really on a sort of a consumption upgrade trend? You know, they always talk about, like, yeah. all lower tier cities are, like, spending more money. And, like, with, even with cross-border, it means they're trying to introduce more premium goods, I guess, to these cities who previously might not have had access to them. Uh, yeah, I mean, Pinodo is um, expanding into cross-border e-commerce. Um, basically, even though most of their... User base comes from these lower tier cities. Actually, uh, a fair chunk of their transactions actually come from um, tier one, tier two cities. Yeah. So it makes sense to sell these more premium items like cosmetics and health supplements. Because these are bigger ticket. Yeah. They spend more. They spend more. They're higher margin. um, They're light and easy to ship. So. Yeah, it's interesting to see how this will play out. It doesn't hurt to have like lower tier cities also then look at the cross-border items as like aspirational items and yeah. work towards like, yeah. that kind of purchasing. Yeah, yeah. They say that people in lower tier cities are um, buying more and more premium products and that the gap between you know tier one and tier three or four cities isn't as big as people used to think they, they were. Yeah, yeah, I think Morgan Stanley, like they published some data a while back that basically um, lower tier cities will make up Two thirds of like national consumption yeah. between like 2017 and 2030. Yeah. So you know, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, traditionally we've always thought that first and second tier cities, like these are the people. Generally, people in these cities are better educated, or you know, their jobs pay more because right. it's first and second tier cities. So these people then you know naturally would also spend more. But yeah, you know, with this whole consumption upgrade and, and rising influence of like middle class, the lower tier cities are also starting to spend. And 
Yeah, you know, you know, with like Alibaba and JD.com, basically in their recent earnings calls, Alibaba said 70% of their growth in annual active users actually came from lower tier cities. JD.com is also trying to penetrate that market. So yeah, I think it would be, it would make for very interesting sort of e-commerce sort of landscape. Right, right. Speaking of which, you know, this is very sort of common knowledge now that the Chinese economy is slowing. And do you think that with that as well as the uncertainty around the U.S.-China trade war, that there are going to be some segments of the e-commerce market that will be impacted. It's hard to say because for what we do, we do cross-border e-commerce. And so it's a different trade channel than general trade. Usually when they say tariffs, they say tariffs on bulk B2B general trade. But for cross-border e-commerce, it's a you know separate channel, different taxes. Something they're trying to really encourage, right? So yeah, yeah. They, well, they want to encourage domestic consumption, and then they can also tax um, trade that's coming into China. Um, but trade war is more of an impact on ex- Chinese exports to the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, with um, the Chinese government, when we talk about that, they're trying to boost spending. I think last year they um, basically adjusted like personal income tax rates as well as adjusted the VAT. Yeah, I think like a week or two ago, they lowered the, the VAT. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, this is uh, to stimulate consumption? Yeah, basically, basically, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, um, so it's really interesting that, you know, obviously, with even with the Chinese economy is slowing, they're really trying to sort of boost um, discretionary spending. So, you know, basically, naturally, I'm, not, I'm going to keep saying, I'm going to stop saying basically so much. So with lowering of like taxes and stuff like that, people are going to have more money in their pockets to kind of spend. So I think like right now, the platforms don't have to be too worried about slowing consumption, you know. Right. Well, I mean, people, they go to these platforms for discounts anyways. Yeah. So I think, I think they'll be okay. So yeah, you know, one last thing that we do want to discuss quickly that I find very interesting is this C to M trend. So, you know, traditionally e-commerce has always been Oh, maybe not e-commerce, but just general retail or, you know, just shopping. It's always been like manufacturers and suppliers sort of make that product. Companies decide what kind of products they want to make. And then they try and market and sell it to consumers. But right now, like in China, there's this different trend because like platforms like JD.com or Alibaba, they have such huge amounts of volume on the kinds of things that people are buying, the kinds of things that people are searching for, that they're able to sort of reverse engineer products and sort of figure out what consumers will like through big data and then make that to then sell it to consumers on their platform. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, in the past, um, I think the the premium side of the market has been dominated by Fortune 500s. Um, and I guess you could you can say it's kind of like an hourglass model where you can either market to the very high end of the market or you can market to the low end. And then historically, it's been very difficult to market to the middle uh, part of the market because Chinese consumers, I guess in any kind of emerging market economy, people in the middle class, they're aspirational consumers. They want to buy luxury items even though they can't afford it because they believe that one day they will be you know, wealthy enough to do it. And it's kind of a status symbol. Um, and so I think historically, you know, the few brands that have been able to do the middle market pretty well are Brands like Zara, H&M, Uniqlo, um, but there aren't that many, right? Um, I think now you have this new wave of Chinese brands. Um, I think Xiaomi is a good example. They've, you know, have very strong user experience with their phones, and they've kind of 
expanded to other products like pens. They do internet routers, um, all different kinds of gadgets. Yeah. Yeah. So like with Xiaomi, I think now they even have luggage. Like you can buy yeah. suitcases. You can buy like bedside lamps or electric toothbrushes. You can buy hair dryers. Like they've invested in like a range of these. Like um, I think in Chinese they call it like xin guo huo, which means like. Newly produced domestic goods. New, new, yeah, new, new country goods. New or, country goods. Right, well, right. literal translation is like new country goods, but basically what they mean is like, like goods that are produced in China by like Chinese companies. And since acceptance of domestic brands have gone up, so like, and when people have trust in brands like Xiaomi, like they believe that Xiaomi products will be good quality or the products that you're selling on the platform is good quality. And that then in turn drives trust in consumers to buy. Yeah, so they have this whole ecosystem of IoT products, hardware products, but driven by Xiaomi operating system software. Um, and that's kind of, it kind of drives the user experience. Another one is NetEase's Yanxuan, which I think was might be might have been one of also the first few who have pioneered this kind of like C2M trend maybe. What they've basically been doing is like sort of looking at what consumers like and then making products that they think people will enjoy under the Yanshuan brand. Yeah, I mean, basically what Yanshuan is doing, they're going to the same uh, factories and suppliers that supply the Fortune 500 brands, and then they'll ask them to make products of uh, similar quality level. And yeah, they brand it under their own name, Yanshuan. Yeah, and then they sell it in like a more affordable sort of price. It's a lot cheaper. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like... Uh, white labeled, I guess the white label is not the right term since it's Yanshuan branded, but yeah. it's branded under Yanshuan and they sell it like, you know, bit sheets. I think they're very famous for. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, like bit sheets and um, some of their like mugs and cups and tumblers and kitchenware. Yeah, like their crock pots and stuff. Yeah, because these segments are very fragmented, anyways. You go on um, Taobao or whatever, um, there's just, you know, hundreds and thousands of sellers selling these no name Chinese brands and there's no one. Chinese brand that comes to mind. So I think Yanshan is trying to fill that mold. Um, and the price point is very similar to something that a Zara or Uniqlo would sell. Yeah, so at the end of the day, I really think it's all about trust, right? Like really, you right, have to right. have brands that are uh, that have established themselves as trustworthy, you know, providing quality level products. And then people will think like, hey, you know, Yanshan or Kala or Tmall or whichever, Xiaomi provides really sort of good quality products. And hence, so in the future, if I have like a need for a new pot or a new pan, I will mm -hmm. go to these platforms and seek that out. Yeah, so with C2M, I think there's definitely a trend to watch. Um, C2M stands for customer to manufacturer. So um, that kind of trend is, is, yeah, is definitely something to watch because as consumers become, you know, especially Gen Z consumers, they're, they're less, maybe less sort of conscious about whether or not something is an important brand or not. Like they're more accepting of domestic brands and indie brands that, this might be the new trend where people sort of start focusing on local labels or local products and support stuff that's like made in China. Right, right, right. Yeah. So on that note, I think we have come to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much, Kerr, for coming on. Yeah, no, it was great. Kerr, if we want to find you online or your work online, where can we do that? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can contact me by email. Kerr.Zeng, K-E-R.Z-H-E-N-G at azoyagroup.com. Great. And also, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my handle is at Zensu. If you want to check out more of my e-commerce coverage, because I cover e-commerce for SCMP, 
you can definitely go to scmp.com slash tech where we are publishing content almost every day. Also, um, if you like this podcast, and I certainly hope that you do, please rate us accordingly. Five stars on iTunes, Inside China Tech. And uh, we're also available on Spotify and Stitcher. We hope to see you next week. Bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.